All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, your copy of God's holy word, please open them now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we continue to consider how we are called to, to bid, build together in unity as a church family, uh, the title for today's sermon is How Firm a Foundation. Let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 23. Paul says this, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. When Ashley and I bought our current house, we knew that the deck on the back of the house was going to be an issue. When we first bought the house, we knew that it was not a very attractive deck. We knew that it didn't seem particularly well built, and we knew that it would likely need to be replaced. But I don't think that we knew how badly it needed to be replaced. At first, we just knew that it just didn't look right. Something was off about it. We could see that it was a little crooked and that several boards seemed to be loose. But as time has gone by, the deck literally began to fall apart. The boards lo looked more like waves than straight boards. One area was much lower to the ground than the other. The, the middle section caved in altogether. And when our five-pound dog ran across it, it found like, felt like an earthquake was happening. It was that bad. And so Ashley and I just recently decided to replace 
the deck. This past Monday, we had a family project, and we tore out the old deck. And we just started to pry up each board one at a time. And the more boards that we pulled up, the worse it all became underneath. Every board of the foundation in the frame was rotted or broken in some way. Jason was helping us, and we had a sawzall to use, and we were ready to use it. Like, let's get at it. But we didn't even need it. Like, you'd touch a board, and it would just fall over. But it wasn't just because the deck was old. It became very clear very quickly that the deck was just built wrong. The foundation was bad. There were not enough footers to hold the deck. The foundation was weak, and so parts of the deck had begun to sink, and boards had begun to crack. And and one part of the foundation, one footer, was literally just two inches into the ground. I pulled it out with my bare hands. And as we deconstructed every piece of this deck, I couldn't help but think about how important a strong foundation is. Without a strong foundation, bad things will always happen. Things might look good at first, but if your foundation is weak, things will inevitably go wrong. And so church, this leads to the question, what is the foundation of your life? And it leads to the question, what is the foundation of our life together as a local church? What foundation do we stand on? Is it the right foundation? Is it a faulty foundation? Is it a rotting or a crooked foundation? Or is it firm and secure? And friends, those are exactly the questions that Paul wants us to ask as we continue in our study of 1 Corinthians. As you know, Paul has been exhorting us to be united together and to consider our foundation together this morning is an excellent way to do just that, to grow in our unity together. But now, not just that, Considering our foundation is also a great way to encourage each one of us in our personal faith journey as well. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but there is a lot of deconstructing going on in the church today. Many, many Christians, particularly my age and younger, are in the process of deconstructing their faith. They're they're looking at the deck of their faith, the deck of their Christian life, and they're saying, huh. Something's off about that. Something about that feels wrong, and I think something needs to be replaced. And so let me deconstruct my faith and then build it back in a better way. And friends, that is not inherently bad at all. Removing poor doctrine from our lives, removing poor practices that come from doctrines in our life, removing that's a good thing. But listen, it is bad when in the midst of your deconstructing, you forget what your foundation is supposed to be. And as you build back, you build a wrong foundation. And so what Paul says here is of immense value to us as a whole church family and to each of us individually. Church, the main idea for our message this morning is this. Our foundation is strong. So let us stand firm together and boast in God. Our foundation is strong. So let us stand firm together and boast in God. You've got four points. Number one, the architect. That's verses 5 to 9. Number two, the foundation. That's verses 10 to 11. Number three, the structure, verses 12 to 17. And number four, the call to boast, verses 18 to 23. Let's begin with the first point. Number one, the architect. Paul is continuing to call us as a church 
to unity together. That's what we saw last week in verses 1 to 4, if you remember. And now, beginning in verse 5, Paul continues this thought, and he does so by by highlighting how, how crazy it is to have factions among us by being loyal to mere men. Look at verse 5. It says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So Paul asked this, this pretty humble and not so flattering question about himself and about Apollos. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? What, what even are we, he says. And then he answers his own question. He says, servants. Servants through whom you believed. Now it's not that Paul and Apollos were unimportant. God used Paul and Apollos to lead the the Corinthians to salvation. Leadership within the local church is a very important thing according to God's word. But all leaders, even apostolic pastors like Paul himself, what are they? They are servants of Christ. Redeemer Fellowship, how different is this view of pastoral leadership than what we see in the church today? Today, so many pastors are seen as superstars and celebrities. They seek to amass a a following of Christians who are loyal to them as if they are what those Christians need most. Pastors today so often live as if they are the architects of the church and that people should be built into them. But Paul says, no, don't do that. Look at verse 6 and 7. Paul says, I planted, yes, I did ministry. Apollos watered, he did ministry too. But God gave the growth. Look at the next sentence. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Again, it's not that Paul and Apollos are unimportant. Someone needs to plant the seeds of the gospel in our lives. The church needs to be discipled. It needs to be led to maturity. It's not that we should ignore leaders in the church, but Paul says, what are these leaders in comparison to God himself? Paul's saying that if we're going to be united together, if we're going to remain strong as a church, we must see how God alone is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the architect and he is the foreman of the entire project of salvation. God is the one who began to build your life, Christian. God is the one who is today actively building your life, Christian. And God is the one who will bring that building project to completion. Paul and Apollos are great. Jason and Drew and Sean, they're great pastors. But they are nothing compared to God himself. And so how crazy... How crazy of the Corinthian Christians to think that their loyalty should be to these men rather than to King Jesus. Paul says it makes no sense. You know what it's like? It's like like when you are at work and the wrong person gets the credit for the job that you did. Do you know what that's like? So you're an expert in your field and your company has asked you to work on a specific project. And so you use all of your expertise, all of your years of education, all of your training. You spend weekends for a whole year getting the work done and you're proud of the work that you've done. And then the day of the presentation comes, it finally arrives and you go into the office early. You've got your Starbucks in hand, you're ready to roll. And on your way in, you, you see the, the receptionist that the company hired just last week, and you ask him to to print all of the reports that you've been working on, and then to bring them into the conference room. And then you go in, and you get ready for the start of the meeting. 
and you're ready to go. But then the receptionist comes in, and he starts handing out the, the reports to everybody in the room. And then suddenly, what happens? Everybody in the room turns and starts paying attention to the receptionist. They start acting as if he wrote the report. They start thanking him for his hard work. They ask him to sit down at the head of the table. And they start asking him questions about the project. And they're so impressed with your work that they give him a promotion. Church, that doesn't make sense. And neither does loyalty to any mere man in the church. We should love and honor and eagerly follow godly pastors in the church, but we must not be more loyal to them than we are to God himself. We must not give them the credit that only God deserves. He is the architect, he is the designer, and he's the ultimate builder of all that we are. And friends, listen, what, what Paul is saying here should be immensely encouraging to you this morning because these verses remind us that, that when church leaders have failed us, when, when the body of Christ has not been what it should be, when, when pastors abuse their position and use their power to do harm, when pastors are more like wolves than they are like shepherds, friends, you don't need to go and deconstruct your whole faith and, and figure something new out because our faith is not about those leaders, nor is our faith about any specific local church. Our faith is about God and the work that he is doing in our lives and in this world. Amen. He is the architect. And so even if areas of your life need to be de deconstructed to some degree, you can know that he will give the growth, that he is building something that is beautiful and good in your life, something that will be unshakable because it's on the right foundation. And that brings us to our second point, point number two, the foundation. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says that he had come to them several years before, and that he had skillfully and wisely laid a foundation for them in their midst. And then other people, like Apollos and Peter, had wisely and skillfully come in and built upon it. But even though Paul talks about his and their skillful work, the focus of these verses is not on Paul, or on Apollos, or on Peter, but on the foundation that was laid. Verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But Paul is emphasizing here the, the clarity that we should have as a local church family. Listen, if we are a Christian church, then the foundation of our lives is Jesus and his work, the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is what we stand on. And so we must not allow anything else to be the foundation that our feet stand on. We cannot allow ourselves like the Corinthians to find our footing on certain leaders. We cannot allow ourselves like the Corinthians to have certain pet doctrines be our foundation. We cannot, like the Corinthians, find our support for life in the expression of our, our Christian liberties or in a spiritual gift that we experience or in the tolerance of sin within our midst. No, those things are not the gospel and those things will never support us. And what Paul is saying here is that if we are standing on anything other than Jesus, then we're not even a church. The foundation determines the structure. 
And if the structure is a New Testament church, then the foundation is always Jesus and only Jesus. The foundation cannot be Jesus and Reformed theology. It won't work. The foundation cannot be Jesus and the doctrines of prosperity. It won't work. The foundation cannot be Jesus and social justice issues. The foundation must be only Jesus. You know, amen, I, I remember back in 2011, I took a trip to Haiti. I led a mission trip to Haiti with some students and their parents, and, and we tried to partake, partake in the, the, the d- disaster relief that was there because of the earthquake that had happened. And when we were there, we, we learned that the reason the the damage was so great because of that 7.0 earthquake that happened in 2010. The reason that it was so bad was because so many of the buildings had been built by people who tried to cut quarters, corners because of their poverty. The cement that should have been used was filled with too much water and with too much sand because they wanted to stretch it as far as they could. And what that created was a weakness that when that place shook, it all came crumbling down. Church, we cannot mix anything else with the gospel to be our foundation. It will crumble. And so church, can I preach the gospel to you this morning? Can I preach Christ to you? Can I remind you, Christian, of the foundation that you are standing on today? Can I remind you of the footing that you have in the midst of this chaotic and broken and shaken world? Can I remind you of who Jesus is and what he has done for you that nobody else could? Church, once we were not saved by God's grace, once we were enemies of him, do you remember that day? Do you remember that day? Once we were condemned under our sin, once we were all living as individuals in our pride and self-sufficiency, we were idolaters. Do you remember that day? We followed the prince of darkness and we were walking in darkness. Do you remember that day? Once you and I worshipped things in this created world rather than the creator of this world. We had scales over our eyes. Our hearts were stone cold. Do you remember that day? This is who we are. And Christian, you would have perished in that place. We were all deserving of God's just judgment and we should have all died there. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not because of any mere human leader. Not because of any eloquence or inherent goodness in you or in me. But only because of his grace and mercy and love. God chose to delight in you rather than to destroy you. And he should have destroyed you. But he delighted in you and he did so through Jesus. Jesus' body was destroyed so that your body might rise from death to life. Jesus, only Jesus, he absorbed the wrath that we deserve. Jesus bore the shame that you feel. In our place, condemned he stood, sealed our pardon with his blood. Alleluia, what a savior. Church, no one else did it for us. No one else was willing, no one else could do it for us. Only Jesus. How firm a foundation is laid for our souls. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose 
the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, he will not, he will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell would endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. We take Jesus out of the picture, and it's like removing the foundation from this auditorium. We all crumble into a pile of sin and shame and condemnation. Jesus is who we stand on. And friends, that has direct implications for those of us who are wanting to deconstruct our faith. So many people are looking at their experience of Christianity and they're saying, yeah, something's wrong here. Something's not right. That's not the Christianity that I see in the Bible. A lot of people are looking at their faith and they're seeing that it's marked by a lot of poor building materials. Things that are not of God or the gospel. And they say that they want to deconstruct their faith. And again, it may be. It may be that deconstructing some of the expressions of your faith is good. We might need to reconstruct certain practical applications of gospel principles. We may need to do that, and we should walk through that together. But we must not deconstruct our faith to the point that we lose the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus. We must not deconstruct to the point where we change who our Jesus is or we change who he says that we are or we change who he says we're called to be as the church. We must remain faithful to that. That's our foundation. If we do that, we're creating a false God and we are deconstructing ourselves into oblivion. So let's tear down. Let's tear down every area that we have built poorly as the church over many centuries. Let's let's get rid of wrong expressions of power. Let's deal with abuse and trauma. Let's get rid of legalism. Let's get rid and uproot and pull the planks up on self-righteousness. Let's do all of that, but let's not lose the gospel. If you feel like you need to ask hard questions of your faith or of your church experience, please, please do that. I would love to walk through that with you, but please do so with your Bible open and your eyes fixed on your Savior, and don't ever shift your gaze. Point number three, the structure. In verse 12, Paul begins to talk about the materials that we use to build and and the actual structure that is being built. Why? Well, because how you build matters. A foundation by itself looks pretty terrible, And a foundation with poor construction jobs on top of it also looks pretty terrible. You know, at the Shorey Home, we have not yet built our new deck. We tore it out last week, and the new foundation will be put in soon. But how crazy would it be if we decided to take that brand new, sturdy, strong foundation and build on it with all of the old materials, all of the cracked and rotting boards that we took out before? That'd be dumb. And friends, that's what Paul says next. Look at verse 12. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And friends, though there are some applications here to our personal lives, these verses have direct and primary application for how we grow as a local church family. These verses have to do with local church ministry. 
And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying in a very scary way, you can have a local church that starts in the right spot. You can have a church whose foundation is Jesus, and that's great. But that same church can begin to do ministry. They can begin to build on that foundation very poorly and with very bad material. Do you see the list of materials that he says that we can be building the church with? Paul first says that it's possible to build the church with gold, silver, precious stones. Those are all things that in God's word remind us of the temple from the Old Testament. The Old Testament temple had a lot of gold and silver and precious stones because those materials were very valuable. They were very beautiful and they lasted a long time. When tested by fire, they were refined, not destroyed. But then Paul also says that it's possible to build a church with wood and hay and straw. These are all things of much, much lesser value. They, they are temporary things. Wood, hay, and straw do not survive the test of fire. They are consumed by the test of fire. But Paul says it's possible to build a church with all of these things. Redeemer family, this terrifies me. It scares me. This terrifies me because things being burned up is not ever really a good thing. And it's terrifying because it's not perfectly clear in verses 14 and 15 whether what is being burned up is just the materials used to build up the people of God within the church or whether it is the people of God themselves being burned up. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous from Paul. Verse 13 talks about how our work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. When the word day, like it is there, is capitalized, it's speaking of the final day. It's speaking of the day of judgment. So it could be that how we build on the foundation matters because on the final day of judgment, God will test whether the people in the church are truly Christian or not. And if we have built poorly, many of the people within the church will be shown to not be truly Christians and they will be burned up by God's just judgment. Or it could be that how we build on the foundation matters so much because lesser materials will simply bring about lesser fruitfulness in ministry. And all this work that we're about here in Newark, Delaware, will be for nothing. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But here's what I know. How we build matters. How we build matters. And church, this is why. This is why we keep saying that we must remain faithful to the gospel. This is why we care about the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Because listen, you can, you can build your foundation of Jesus and then sing lots of songs that are really more about you than about Jesus. And that would be to build with wood, hay, and straw. You can build on a foundation but then begin to, to direct your preaching towards practical living and self-help ideas that really just come from the world. That would be to build with wood, hay, and straw. We could be built on the, the gospel and then lead the church away from sound theology towards secular psychology or, or the prosperity gospel. And we could do it in a way that is veiled by the gospel in some ways, but that would be to still build with wood, hay, and straw, and those things will be burned up. They're either going to create people who think that they're Christians and are not, who will be judged on the final day, or it's just going to bear little lasting fruit. Paul says that if we build in that way, we may still be saved. We still may be Christian because of our faith in Jesus, but the, the fruitfulness and 
the strength and the eternal value of our local church family will be far, far less. The good that we do in this world for God's glory will be far, far less. So many churches today are Christian in that they believe in Jesus, but they are building with lesser materials. Lord, Lord, please help us to build rightly. Help us, God. We need your assistance in this. Protect us from wandering and keep us centered on the gospel. Church, this is why. This is why when we, when we talk about parenting, for an example, for example, we, we talk about the gospel first and then the implications on our parenting. This is why when we talk about our vocation or our careers or our ambition in life, we talk about the gospel first and the implications of the gospel on our lives in this world. This is why when we counsel people through pain and suffering and horrific loss, we don't just say, hey, let me put my arm around you. We open God's word and we look at the gospel together. This is why our students in the Code Red ministry are going through a book called A Gospel-Centered Life for Teens. They need the gospel. Because we can claim, particularly in the church today, we can claim to love Jesus. He may even be our foundation. But then as Paul says here, we can build our life with a whole lot of warped and rotting boards that will not support us in the long run. And that's dangerous. It may be that your salvation is secure. It may be that on the final day you will still be saved, but only as through fire, as he says here. Only by the skin of your teeth. Very little gospel fruit to show. And so Redeemer Fellowship, how much better, how much better to build with gold, silver, and precious stones? How much better to cling to God's word and say, this is what we will build because this is better than gold. How much better, how much better to end on that final day and have Christ speak of the fruit in our lives and in our church family? How much we don't want to get to that final day and have him say, come in, you believed in Christ, but man, I looked at your church and I saw a lot of legalism. I saw a lot of fights over secondary things that did not need to happen. You should have been sharing the gospel. How much more? Please, God, keep us on the gospel. Help us to boast only in Jesus. And that brings us to point number four, the call to boast the call to boast together. We must remember the context for these verses. Again, Paul is arguing for unity in this first section of 1 Corinthians, and he is seeking to actively undermine the factions and the divisions within the church. And he does so by reminding us of who we are together. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, those verses are oftentimes misinterpreted as Paul talking about our own individual bodies. Your body is a temple of the living God. That's a true statement. Paul actually says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but that is not a right interpretation of this verse. When Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the whole church, all of us together. He's reminding us that the church is holy because as, as imperfect and as oftentimes as weak as the local church is, it is where God has chosen to reside. 
He has chosen local congregations to be his dwelling place. He lives among us. And just like in the Old Testament with the temple, the local church and the unity within the local church that we share is therefore a very sacred and holy thing. It says, if, he, if anyone destroys God's temple, indirectly in the context, that means if anyone sows disunity, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. Redeemer Fellowship, we are holy together. We are precious together. We are where God resides. And so Paul is highlighting the importance of this building project which is being done. This is not a side project being done in our spare time or in God's spare time. No, this is the project. Local churches and the planting of new local churches and our unity through it all is how God will accomplish his purposes throughout this world. And so this is not something to use recycled materials on. No, we must give our best to this. Because there is eternal value in this place. But Paul says that it is so easy to forget this and to do damage to the local church. Look at verse 18. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. As Paul talks about unity in the church and how leaders of the church seek to build the church, he says, don't be de deceived, Corinthians. Don't be deceived, Redeemer Fellowship. Don't fall into thinking that the priorities of the world are the same as the church. No, the priorities of the world defile the church. Paul's language here is supposed to remind us of what he said in chapters 1 and 2, how the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And how this foolishness to the world, which is the cross of Christ, is absolutely central to who we are. Paul is wanting you and I to become fools in the eyes of the world. He wants us to renounce worldly wisdom and to celebrate the foolishness of the cross so that we might stand firmly together. He says, don't be deceived. Don't blend the corporate world in with the body of Christ. Don't blend the hierarchical way of thinking in our world and the power structures of our world in with the body of Christ. Don't blend worldly philosophies with the gospel. They can't mix together. Paul says in verse 19 and 20 that God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile thoughts. The wisdom of this world is futile. And to build a church with worldly wisdom is to build on the foundation which will grow old and rot away. And so he says, verse 21... So let no one boast in men. So let no one boast in men. He says, don't, don't boast in mere humanity. Don't boast in worldly standards of success. Boast in God and boast in God together. And then he gives us every reason to do this boasting together. Verse 21, read it with me. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Don't boast in men. Don't boast in the things of men because when your identity is in those things, you will end up divided from each other. But he says, let the banner over all of your life and over your entire church community be Jesus and only Jesus. And listen, when Jesus is the banner over our lives, we will stand united together. 
Because when you have a gifted pastor or a leader, you will boast in the God who gave them to you. When we prosper in life or when we suffer in death, we will boast because God sustained us. When we are content in the present or apprehensive or fearful about the future, we will boast and find our peace in God because he, we know that he is Lord over it all. Church, we have a strong foundation, and so let us stand firm together and boast in God.